Can you sense the tangible presence of God in this place? There is uh, something that's shifted over us as a people in the last 24 hours. I don't know if you've noticed that. Okay, well, one of you have. Um, <laughs> there's been a change in the atmosphere. Um, I don't know about you, uh, this morning there was just a phenomenal outbreak of the Spirit of God, quite spontaneously. Um, it was not on my agenda. It wasn't what I expected, and God broke in and brought some freedom to some people. And I believe God wants to increase that. I believe God wants to do some more things tonight. I want to share a little bit around breaking unbelief and creating a culture of faith, because um, I believe God wants to raise the level a little bit of faith in our churches. Amen. Um, my natural expectation is becoming, and I'm reorientating myself around this, that my natural expectation is becoming that God's going to break out with supernatural stuff. I'm learning to believe him that he is set apart, he is other, he is holy, he is removed from time and the affairs of man, and therefore because he's not just real powerful, but he's all powerful, he gets to demonstrate some things. It was a good point, Hitchcock. I, I thought it was a... I'm going to say that again because I think some of you need to get that. He's not just real powerful. He's all-powerful. He lives and resides outside of time. He lives completely other to the human race. And therefore, when he breaks in, he gets to demonstrate the supernatural kingdom that he lives in and dwells in as an opportunity to reveal his goodness. That's the point. He doesn't demonstrate his power because he's powerful. He demonstrates his power because he's love. That's the difference between demonic power and being plugged into heaven's power. Is that the motivation is not simply an ability to put on display that which we can do, but the motivation is to put on display the kindness, the goodness, and the love of God. God's been doing some amazing things. And I want some testimonies just very quickly. If you know God's done something very significant in your heart, in your life, maybe you've been healed. Maybe there's been some healing that you've noticed even over the last 24 hours. I need some people to come and share some stories. I want to say this again. Sharing stories and testimonies gives an opportunity for God to demonstrate his goodness. The Bible says that the spirit of prophecy or testimony... Um, the testimony of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy. In Revelation 19, it says that when I share a story of God's goodness, there's prophetic residue in it for it to happen again. So, I'm looking for some testimonies. In fact, this, this will prove the point very quickly. Why don't you just share what your son told you? Um, I spoke to Jonathan today and uh, told him a bit what was happening. And he said, uh, at Darlington, this was given out last Sunday... At North Camp, there was a man sitting there who didn't believe in healing. Julian wasn't even praying. He just mentioned about healing backs in his sermon. This man went away. He was a farmer, and most of his discs in his back had gone. He went away. His back got healed. He went to the doctors, and they was all back in place. And that man didn't even believe that God could heal him. Come on. That's a cool story. Okay, I'll forgive you. That was a bit of a golf clap, and I'll forgive you for that. The next time I'm expecting, like, England just scored a goal, all right? Um, who else wants to just share something of what God's done? Do you want to come up and just tell us what's happened for you this weekend so far? Well, I just feel God needs me to share it again. 
I don't know if you remember when I first had Jed, just God's just brought it back to me. When I first had Jed, and it was, when he was born, um, when he wasn't born, it was an emergency cesarean. Um, they said he had a shadow, shadow on the heart and a collapsed lung, and we, they told me and Mick that he wasn't going to survive. Um, at that time, they, put, they kept me on a ward, and I was with all the other mums, with all these babies that were healthy and, and lovely, and it was just all very so traumatic. Um, they gave us, he was in hospital for a week. They said they wanted to try and get him to London, um, up to the baby unit in London, but he wasn't, he was in double bubble and 100% oxygen, and they said they, they couldn't, they didn't think he could make it to remove him from the hospital into the ambulance to get into London. So they, they were basically saying, he's not going to make it. Um, they said they gave us 24 hours and asked if we wanted to get the priest in for the last rites. This is Jed, my son, by the way, we're talking about. Um, and, um, and then Pam Lyons, Pam and Dave came in and they said that because it was intensive care unit and you had to be all gowned up and everything, um, that no one could go in because of infection. Um, they came to me at the bed and said, Pam said, they won't let me in to pray for him. I said, look, I'm a Christian, and if my son's going to die, then I want my friend to go in and pray. I want you to allow her to go in. So Pam Lyons went in. They ummed and ahed, and she said it was really hard to get in. to put the hand, her hands, because there were so many wires and inside the oxygen and all stuff like that. But she put her hand inside, and she put her hand on Jed. Um, by, the, by the following morning, I, was, I didn't sleep, because obviously this was all so awful. Um, I heard the doctor say, is, is, um, is Mrs. O'Brien awake? I pulled back the curtain. I said, I'm, I'm going to sleep. I'm, I'm awake. And they said, uh, your son um, is making a miraculous recovery. Um, hour by hour, we're taking the, 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 the pipes and everything out of him. We're taking him out of the oxygen bit by bit by bit. And by 7 o'clock that morning, I was feeding him. And yes, please. Tell us what God's doing. Hi, yeah. Um, well, I just, uh, uh, just feel that um, this isn't a physical healing, but um, I've been a Christian for uh, most of my life, and um, I think you can, as Christians, you can go through this kind of bit of a roller coaster um, of a life sometimes, and um, I certainly feel that I have, where you feel uh, sometimes on fire for God, and then other times you just let him down and then you're on fire, you ask for forgiveness, you fire for God and then back down again. And um, I just felt that um, over the last few years, um, I've, where you get hurt, whether that's from just feeling discouraged um, in your own walk with God um, and, you know, um, and sometimes just sinning, letting, doing things that you think, oh, I messed up again. Um, I had hardened my heart up, and um, and uh, it says that God is love, and uh, do you know it's very difficult to have a relationship with somebody, um, whether it's uh, you know your wife or your husband, or whether that's with God, when you've got a hardened heart, and um, it's very difficult uh, to. Show other people love and for God to use you um, when you've got this hardened heart. And the reason that I, you harden is uh, sometimes just to keep people at bay and to protect that inner, um, inner self. And um, I just felt that over the last few years I excluded myself from coming to the front and 
prophesying, which uh, I really felt that was uh, a gifting and words of knowledge in my life and where I felt just discouraged, really. And also, um, I found it very difficult even to love other people and even, you know, newly being married and, uh, and even my relationship with God. And uh, I just felt that over this last couple of days, uh, this last uh, day or so and last night, that God's just been um, softening my heart up. Um, and to the point where I'm finding it difficult to even have conversations without um, kind of willing up. But I just feel that even tonight, with uh, there's people here that some of you are Christians and uh, that you've had things happen to your life. Sometimes when you've been really young, going through teenage years and kids and people have uh, spoken against you and hurt you. And other times it's just through just messing up and just thinking, I'm excluded, I can't do this anymore. And I feel God would say that, uh, that I, I want to release, I want to release you tonight from a, a hardened and a hurt heart. Yeah. I want you to know that I'm a, a God of love and of passion. I'm a God that's gentle in every way. And though um, man can deal with things maybe not very sensitively or, or hurt you, that I'm a God of love and I'm a God that is passionate for you. And uh, I want you to know that um, I want to give you a revelation of what my son did on the cross. I want you to know that... <sighs> I want you to know that, that the torment that he went through was because of his love and my love for you. And I want to set you free tonight in a way that is going to have an effect on you for the rest of your life. And there are some people that are so bound up that you are unable to be used because of, of hurts and pain, and uh, I want to release you tonight, and I want to prevent the enemy from damaging your life, and damaging other people, because of the hurt um, that you've gone through, and uh, yeah, that's it, really. Whoa, there is a fresh prophetic mantle coming upon you right now. Because you're going to prophesy from your heart, not from your head in this next season. There's power coming on you to begin to see in a whole new dimension. Fire. Right now, in Jesus' name. Whoa, right now. Touch him, Lord, with a whole new dimension. Right now, there it is. Bam. In Jesus' name. Come, Holy Spirit. Hey, I heard such a cool story about Ethan. Ethan, just come and tell us what happened to you. Um... You've been wearing glasses for how long? Um, since I was three. Since you were three. Why is that? Um, I had a lazy eye, my right eye. And what happened last night when you put your glasses back on? Um, they were more blurry with, um, with them on. <laughs> that is cool. Lift up your hands, Ethan. I believe God's going to do something amazing. I believe God wants to say to you 
that this uh, healing is going to be complete. That you're not to be afraid that you're going to lose it. That God is going to do some amazing things with you. And that even as you begin to see clearly now, <laughs> even as those glasses aren't helping anymore, you're going to begin to see him clearly. You're going to begin to see Jesus clearly because there's a bit of an evangelistic gift that God wants to give you. And you're going to be a fiery, bold young man. Now release your anointing, Lord. Bam! In Jesus' name. Come Holy Spirit. Fire right now. In Jesus' name. Whoa! Let's go ahead and soak. Thank you, Lord. Whoa! Who else wants to share what God's done with them in terms of healing? Are there any specific healings that's happened? Um, I'd love to hear some stories of healings. Come, Lord Jesus. I know there were lots of hands that went up yesterday. You can tell the same story again if you want. Makes us happy anyway. Just, just want to take one or two more. doesn't have to necessarily be physical healings. It can be something else. But um, if you know God's done something, why don't you quickly come up to the front? Going once. Oh, she's got another one. She's a roll. I remember going back when people knew me back, like, back a bit of a while ago. I was a bit of a rebel. And um, I didn't believe in healing. I used to come to church. I wasn't at this church. I was at Elam Church at the time. Didn't believe in healings. I could see it. I saw people healed and I saw it. But I didn't believe it. Didn't believe it was for me. thought, yeah, okay. Didn't believe it. And um, I, was, I just met Mick and... Um, I had a real bad, real bad pains in my jaw. And I went to the doctor and I said, God, if you, if you want me to believe in healing, heal me. I've got, you've got to heal me. And um, I went to the doctors and they said, you need to go to the dentist. I thought, what? What have I to the dentist for? I've got pains all down my neck. What have I got to the dentist? I went to the dentist and I had uh, four ingrowing wisdom teeth upside down growing in my mouth. Um, and they said I'd have to go to East Grinstead and have my jaw broken to take the teeth out and move my jaw and then afterwards brace all my teeth up and then move my bottom jaw back. So I went to um, East Grinstead, had the operation, which was awful. And my bottom jaw was, was much more further than my front. It was protruding. Um, and I said to Mick, my mouth is hurting more and more and more each day. It is unbelievable. Um, of course, Mick, at some, t- at some stage where the wires, where my jaw was moving back, the wires would... Um, get stuck and everything. Mick put pliers in my mouth to uh, move the wires, where the wires were just kept moving all the time. And um, as, the, as time moved on, it was the six weeks, it was two weeks before I was supposed to go for the operation, and I was in sheer agony. Couldn't go to work. Absolutely in sheer agony. And my whole, I was remember laying on the bed, and I just thought, God, I can't take this. Just take me now. I can't bear the pain anymore. Um, I knew something had happened. I knew something was going on. I went back to the hospital and they took x-ray after x-ray after x-ray because my jaw moved back on its own. Come on. I like that. God is on the move. What are you turning your Bibles to? Uh, Mark chapter 6. I want to share some things very briefly and then we're going to pray for the sick. And I think we might do a fire tunnel. Um, some of you might not know what a fire tunnel is. It's just a quick way to pray for lots of people, basically. And uh, that's what we're going to do. All right? I'll explain to you a little bit later. It's not freaky. It's not magical. 
It just really is a much quicker way to pray for people. And you have a lot more fun while you do it. So, and I like church to be fun because I'm tired of boring church. I know none of you are. I am, though. Mark, you know, I just want to commend this church. I want to say I so enjoyed being amongst you, just feeling like I'm at home, really, in one sense. And just uh, the leadership team, Paul and uh, the eldership team, just seeing what God's doing with you guys. I do believe this church is in a season of wineskin change. This church is uh, in a season where God's about to bring some new things and... Uh, I know there's a lot of history associated with this church, but I believe God is going to do something where you'll not simply be limited to your history, but your history will be a platform into that which he has for you. Amen. And so I really, I want to encourage you to be living in a significant day of the move of the Holy Spirit. Just by way of hand, how many of you about 15 years ago regularly heard of people getting healed, uh, either on the streets or just through just ordinary believers praying for the sick. Can you put up your hand about 15 years ago? Okay, just a few hands. How many of you about 10 years ago started hearing uh, more people getting healed? How many of you in the last uh, three years have started hearing of people getting healed on the streets, either people in this church or through other churches, or you praying for the sick? All of a sudden you're hearing of lots of people getting Put up your hands. Hi. I just want you to notice how many more hands have just gone up. There is an incremental increase of people getting healed. I think that's really cool. God is demonstrating his power in a significant way, in an increased way. It seems to me that wherever um, I'm going, I'm hearing stories of the outpouring of God. And the, the thing about the power of God, the thing about healing, the thing about the demonstration of God touching people, is it really isn't just about, you know, getting goosebumps. It's about the gospel being advanced. I got to uh, pray for a Pakistani taxi driver in Manchester the other day. Um, and uh, he was driving me, and I was in one of those moods, as I often get, where I just didn't feel like really talking to anyone. I'm in the taxi. I've just wanted to, you know, get home. And, uh, of course, he said to me, um, so what is it that you do? And I'm just thinking, here we go. So I said, well, I'm a minister. I uh, work for Jesus. And uh, he said to me, oh, I need to tell you about how important it is that, you know, the Muslim faith and the Christian faith get along well together and how actually we're so compatible. And uh, some of the points he was making was actually quite good, to be honest. Um, but I was just thinking, I really don't feel like this. And he was really trying to go the whole nine yards to tell me about how great Islam is. In the midst of it, I'm talking to him, and I suddenly sense a little impression drop into my head. And I said to him, have you been struggling with a problem in your left shoulder? And he goes, yes, I have, for about eight years. So I said, well, I'm going to pray for you if that's okay. So I stretched out my hand, which is quite dangerous to do when someone's driving. (laughs) And I only realized that afterwards, but I prayed for him. And ask God to begin to bring healing. So I said, well, why don't you test it out? Again, not realizing that he is driving the taxi. It's probably not a good idea for him to take his, only, you know, his hand off the, off the wheel. But anyway, he takes it off and he starts moving it. And he kind of goes, do you mind doing that again, please? So I said, okay, I'll pray for you again. Pray for him again. I said, well, test it out. And again, 
You know, he's kind of moving and I'm praying, Lord Jesus, keep the car on the road. He's moving <laughs> his arm. And then he goes, it's completely healed. I've got no more pain. And then he says to me, have you got any more tricks like that? Which I thought was really cool. And at the end, um, we began to chat about Jesus, able to share the love of Jesus with him, was able to clearly tell him, my prophet is alive, your prophet is dead, that's why he healed you. Um, and uh, I really liked that. He began to then disclose all the things he was struggling with. He asked me to pray for his family. It was amazing. We, you know, outside my house and I'm praying for him. The great thing of the whole story for me was I got a discount on my taxi ride. It's amazing. Healing works. (laughs) Mark chapter 6, verse 1. He went away from there and came to his hometown. His disciples followed him. And on the Sabbath, he began to teach in the synagogue. And many who heard him were astonished, saying, Where did this man get these things? What is the wisdom given to him? And how are such mighty works done by his hands? Is this not the carpenter? the son of Mary and brother of James and Joseph and Judas and Simon. And are not his sisters here with us? And they took offense at him. Jesus said to them, A prophet is not without honor except in his hometown and amongst his relatives in his own household. And he could do no mighty work there except that he laid his hands on a few sick people and healed them. And he marveled because of their unbelief. Jesus very often rebukes the Pharisees for their inability to recognize what God is doing. He says to them, you have an ability to be able to tell natural weather patterns, but you cannot and do not understand the spiritual climate in which you live. It is very important that as a church and as a people and as a family of churches, we understand the climate, the spiritual climate we live in, so that we can truly be a prophetic voice and be a people who communicate God's heart right into the circumstances that people are facing. We are living in a day where it seems to me that God is eager to pour out His Spirit. It seems to me that God is eager to use believers to heal the sick. Sam's getting it right, yeah. Sam's going to heal the sick. He's going to go this week and pray for people and they're going to get healed. Why? Because he's a believer. These signs will follow those who? Fantastic. God is eager to pour out his spirit. God is eager to bring healing. God is eager to break open a culture of the miraculous. And one of the things I've noticed in traveling a bit and seeing churches that are moving in the miraculous is that God doesn't simply want a Sunday morning or a momentary meeting or a weekend of meetings in which the miraculous operates. He wants a body of believers who sustain, increase, and create a culture of the outbreak of the kingdom. And it doesn't matter where that expression comes into, whether it's work amongst the poor or the broken or the hurting, or whether it's you doing your job week to week by bringing something of the very power in the kingdom of God. God's kingdom is not simply in word, it is always in power. The difference between the Rotary Club and the church is that we have an understanding of the dynamic power of God which increases his rule and reign in the world. We're not simply called to do benevolent good works. We're not simply called to, you know, scratch where it itches. We're called to transform our whole culture. 
we're called to transform a whole region. I am contending for apostolic power to be returned to the church, the kind of apostolic power that when Paul rocked up in Ephesus after a few years, the whole region was changed because the kingdom of God came. I still believe and I'm committed to that there will be pockets of revival that will break out all over the UK. There will be whole towns, whole cities who will come under the dominating effect of the kingdom and things will change. I don't believe that that's pie in the sky. I believe God is going to do it. We are living in days where God's wanting to lift the eyes of faith in the church because evangelicals don't talk about faith anymore. And you know, one of the things that I, I grew up, I'm, I'm a bit of a charismaniac. I don't know what gave that away, but I am. <laughs> and I grew up in a bit of the word of faith movement. Now there are loads of eccentricities, there are loads of weirdness, there are loads of theological incorrectness that they might have. But I tell you what, they understand something of faith. And uh, faith is an expression and something that we as evangelicals, as those who believe the Bible, are called to live in, walk in, and demonstrate. And I want to challenge something in the spirit. I want to provoke you tonight to begin to move from the place of passive hoping to faith-filled expectation that God wants to use this church, God wants to use this region to demonstrate his kingdom to a lost and a dying world. God's looking for a people who will be willing in the day of his power. The issue's never been his unwillingness to demonstrate his power. The issue's being a people who are ready. And God's looking for some men and women who begin to find themselves desperate for the very presence of God. One of the things I find about Jesus is that uh, his words always come with a demonstration of power. Our expectation, as I've said this morning, of the kingdom of God and the tension between the now and the not yet is not less, but it should be more. We should be expecting more breakouts of the kingdom, more breakouts of his anointing, more breakouts of his power wherever we go. I'm not wanting to see less miracles. I'm not wanting to see less prophetic words. I'm not wanting to see less people getting healed on the streets of Manchester or wherever I I live, wherever you live. I'm wanting to see more. Because the nature of the kingdom is always in increase. Our natural expectation should be for demonstrations of God's kingdom. The thing about the realm, last night I spoke about our free access into the domain of God. The domain, the dwelling place, the place where God dwells in his glory. We have free access into that because of the work of Jesus. Because at the cross, heaven and earth meet perfectly. And we have access to enjoy heaven's purposes. And the kingdom that God comes from, the kingdom that he dwells in, the domain that he dwells in, is one that is filled with supernatural activity. That means we should be expecting angelic visitations. 
Just by the way, I just thought for those of you who always come in under attack of the enemy, the Bible seems to indicate to me that there are more angels than there are demons, which means we should be expecting more activity of the angelic than we should be of the demonic. <laughs> and the bonus is that uh, the, you know, angels are not trying to fight for victory because Christ has won the victory already. And so we see Jesus in the synagogue and uh, on the Sabbath and he's teaching. And I, I love what they say. These guys are amazed and perplexed. He's doing some miracles that are catching their attention. I love how they connect what he says. How are these miracles being done by his hand? Where does he get these sayings from? I love how they connect his ability to teach and his ability to demonstrate together. When Nicodemus comes to Jesus in the middle of the night, he says to Jesus, we know you're a good teacher because of the signs that you do. Teaching's only good if it is demonstrated. You see, in Hebrew culture, truth is an experience, not an intellectual assent. And so when the Bible says you will know the truth, and the truth will make you free. That word know is the word genosco, which means you'll come into an experience of truth, and the experience of that truth sets you free. Which is why some people can hear preaching after preaching after preaching after preaching and never get free from the thing that they're struggling with until they have an encounter with the very life of that word to transform them because they've experienced something. And Jesus, uh, or, or the people in, in those days connected what Jesus said with what he did. And I, I long for some teachers, some theological teachers who not only declare something, but demonstrate something. Because if your theology doesn't lead you to an encounter with Jesus, all it will do is make you more religious. I told you I was going to provoke a little bit. George Eldon Ladd in his book, The Presence of the Future, says this. The work that Jesus proclaimed itself brought to pass that which it proclaimed. Release for captivity, recovery for the blind, freeing of the oppressed. And he goes on to say, his authority consisted in the power to accomplish what he proclaimed. The kingdom of God, when it is preached, exercises power. When someone is at this pulpit preaching the word of God, there is an opportunity for power to be exercised as they are preaching. I want to say to you that in the church, unfortunately, we have had some misconception about word and spirit. And we think that somehow they are separated. We think that somehow they are polarized to each other. The truth is that the Bible, the Holy Spirit was written, I mean, the Bible was written by the Holy Spirit. He decided what went into that book. He decided how it was to be written. He decided where the dots would go, where the T's would be crossed. He is the author of that book. Therefore, he's not polarized to the book. He's greater than the book, but he's not polarized here. There is no, there is not ever meant to be a separation between word and spirit. In fact, it's unhelpful to even use that terminology because Jesus himself says, my words are spirit and life. 
And so when we're in context like this, there is no difference between someone proclaiming the word of God and someone laying hands on you, both give an opportunity for an encounter. Do you get that? Because sometimes we can sit in meetings and be very passive in the preaching because we're looking for more intellectual accent. We're looking for more ability to articulate, more ability to reinforce our particular pet doctrine rather than looking for the nutrients of encounter with the very author of that word. God's looking for some people who begin to not only hear something but demonstrate the very kingdom of God. And Jesus In some places, I find it fascinating, it says that all would be healed. Yet in this context, he can do no mighty work because of their unbelief. Oh, I know some churches like this. Where they're impressed with a few miracles, but they never press through into the mighty work that God could do. I'm not simply looking for some miracles, I'm looking for the mighty work. Friends, God's called us to be a people who are extraordinary. We are called, you know, if you want nice people, you can go to a knitting club. If you want nice moral people, you can find them all over the UK. He's looking for an extraordinary people who've been captivated by the kingdom, who've been captivated by the king of this kingdom, and who live as a community of the spirit. That means that the miraculous is part of our life. That means that clear biblical teaching and preaching is part of our life. It means that the way we do community is so provocative that people want in on it. I don't want to settle for a few miracles. I want in a mighty work. And this is so key. The Jews, the Jews in that moment, they, they're looking at Jesus and they've seen Jesus do a few miracles. They've seen the power and the authority of his teaching. And then they reason amongst themselves and they go, hold on a minute, we know this dude. Isn't he that carpenter's son? We're holding some of his brothers and sisters are among us. And there's an incredible thing that happens in here. It says they took offense at Jesus. And uh, I wonder how many churches have taken offense at Jesus. Now, it's incredible. This is not simply offense in terms of Sam said something bad to me, I don't like him, so I'm offended with him. No, no. This offense is an offense that comes as a result of not being able to join the dots in your mind about a particular person, and therefore you cannot um, believe, you cannot fit this person into your particular box. That word offense literally means a stumbling block. It means you fall over him. These people were falling over Jesus because he no longer could fit into their preconceived ideas about how a rabbi, a teacher should minister, about how an uneducated carpenter's son could be in a synagogue bringing the word of God with power. They could no longer put that into their box And so all the unanswered questions produced an offense with Jesus and produced a blockage of faith. And I find that most Christians live in a place of being unable to believe God because they've never understood that faith is not meant to be regulated by what you see or feel. Faith is meant to be regulated by revelation of the Father. 
And that actually faith doesn't come because I have understanding. Understanding comes because I have faith. That's what Hebrews chapter 11 says. And so what most Christians do is when they have these unanswered questions about God, they block themselves off from believing him in a particular area simply because he didn't join all the dots for them, as if he had to anyway. God reserves the right to mess with our mind. He's sovereign. And for many of us, we regulate our faith by what we understand rather than having our faith being the bed, bedrock, being the place, the platform from where understanding comes. It's by faith we understand the world was created. Do you get that? And until we begin to break through levels of unbelief, until we begin to break through levels of unanswered questions about the character and the goodness of God, we'll never break through into a place where we live in a culture of faith. Faith is not meant to be something that we simply um, hope for. Faith takes that which we hope for and realizes it right here and now. One of the big things that blocks faith off is unbelief. And <laughs> Unbelief is often dressed up in wisdom. I'll just say that again for some of the... Unbelief is often dressed up in wisdom. Here's the deal about faith, friends. It's not safe. It's not safe. It's not predictable. It's not easy. You've got to step out and you've got to risk something. You've got to go, here I go. Faith doesn't play it safe. See, what we do is we go, let's see all the variables in this decision-making process. Once we've got all the variables sorted out, then we'll step up because we still have a little bit of control. That's not faith. That's just called your ability to step out and calculation. Faith means that you do not see what you're about to do. You don't understand how it's going to work out, but you know that because God is good, he's going to back your act and you're going to trust him. One of the biggest obstacles to faith, just by the way, the Bible says this, just so you can understand that I'm talking the truth, in 1 Corinthians that spiritual things are not understood by the carnal mind. In other words, your ability to have human wisdom does not equate with God's ability to ask you to step out in faith. Spiritual things are understood by the Spirit. That's why it makes no sense that when you give money away, God gives you more. It makes no sense that when you bless someone, you get blessed. It makes no sense that when you serve you become a leader. It makes no sense that the first becomes the last and the last becomes first. It makes no sense that this kingdom we're a part of is an upside-down kingdom. It is totally contrary to whatever the world says. Because faith operates in the realm of impossibility. Did you get that? Faith operates in the realm of impossibility. I just want to touch on some blockages and, and some of the, 
the obstacles to creating a culture of faith. Just very quickly. The first thing I want to touch on is the religious spirit. Pharisaical spirit. <laughs> help me, Jesus. No, really, help me, Jesus. The religious spirit will stop us from hearing the voice of God by convincing us that we already know God's opinion in a specific matter, therefore we don't have to ask him. The religious spirit will convince us that God will never contradict our theology or our practice or way of doing things. (laughs) Can I get an amen in this Presbyterian church today? The religious spirit will get us to rely on tradition and the way it's always been done rather than hearing the now voice of God. (laughs) The religious spirit will get us to rationalize scripture, i.e., others gossip, we share our concern. Others judge, we spiritually appraise things. The religious spirit defines the Christian life in terms of performance. This is based on Matthew 23, by the way. Defines the Christian life in terms of performance rather than the heart. The religious spirit glorifies what God has done in the past, looks forward to what God will do in the future, but persecutes the present moves of God. The religious spirit will give us a sense of being and feeling that we're on the cutting edge. Our church knows what God is doing. We're right on the, our worship is amazing. We're right on the edge of good worship. The religious spirit will operate most often in a critical and a judgmental spirit. It's very easy to criticize something you're not committed to. If you're thinking about how someone should be listening to the sermon right now, you've got a religious spirit. Pharisees missed the gate of the visitation because of their religion. Because they thought they had the monopoly on how Jesus would come. They thought they had the monopoly of revelation and interpretation of how the Messiah would arrive. Can I suggest something? In our new charismatic churches, because you can't, you can't actually call them new churches anymore, we have enough tradition and religion to block us off from what God is doing. And if we're to live in a culture of faith, religion's going to go. I'm going to come in for a landing with just three quick points. And then we're going to pray for people. These guys had unanswered questions about Jesus and the result was that it blocked them off from believing him for doing a mighty work. If you want to create a culture of faith, in this church, and in your local churches, wherever you're from, you've got to change the way you think. You've got to reorientate your default. You've got to reorientate your mind around the impossible, not the possible. That which is plausible is nice. That which is impossible is amazing. And we've got to reorientate our mind. We've got to reorientate the way we do church. We've got to reorientate the way we come. Do you know when my worst mornings are for doing miracles? Do you know when the most difficult time for doing signs and wonders are? On a Sunday morning between half past ten 
and help us close. Why? People come in through a door, expect what they get every time, rather than changing the way they think that the God of the impossible is about to meet with them. I've only got a few more hours with you, so I'm pulling no punches. Please forgive me. We've got to change the way we think about the kingdom. Jesus said to Peter, your mind is not full of the things of God, but full of the things of man. Do you notice Peter, this is, Peter comes to Jesus and brings this incredible revelation. You are the Christ, the son of the living God. Do you remember that in Matthew? A few verses later, he says to Jesus, you will not die. And this is what Jesus says, get behind me, Satan. I mean, that is not a very nice thing to say to your friend. Get behind me, Satan. And then he says, for you are setting your mind on the things of man, not on the things of God. Worldly thinking, human wisdom is equated to satanic inspiration. Can I get an amen? This kingdom is completely other. It is completely other. It does not fit the mold. It does not fit that which is predictable. We need to be a people of faith who are convinced that the resurrected Lord is going to do some significant things in our lives. We must fix our eyes on that which is eternal. We've got to change the way we think. I said to some of the guys the other night, I've decided not to partake in this recession. Because heaven's not in one. We must change the way we think. Secondly, we must create a culture of faith and expectation. Your expectation is God's invitation. Here's the incredible thing. Your position determines your perspective. And your perspective determines your prayer life. If your position is earthbound, your prayer life will probably sound like, help, help me, Jesus, please help me. What's going on? Because your perspective is on that which is temporary. But if your position is in the realms of heaven where you are seated in Christ, you begin to see that you're not fighting at ground warfare. You're fighting from heaven's perspective. Your prayer life begins to change because your perspective is being seen through heavenly involvement and activity. You want your faith levels to change? Enjoy your sonship. Enjoy your possession in Christ and expect him to do extraordinary things. Jesus could do no mighty work because of unbelief. Is there unbelief in your heart? Repent. 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 I sense that I'm fighting something in the spirit right now. Because we've become so orientated to that which is natural in this nation. We've become so orientated. Do you know, when I'm in Africa, I don't need to convince people about the realm of the spirit. Because they've got to fight just to live. And so miracles happen easily in that context. And I'm not willing to settle for miracles happening easily in Africa when it should happen as easily 
in the West. That's why I'm giving my life to a nation like England. Because I'm contending for power to break through the intellectual God of this world and demonstrate our heart of the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. Friends, we must reorient our We must be a people of expectation. We must carry the very expectation that God will do the supernatural. Unbelief cannot be on our lips. And if it is, we need to repent of it. <laughs> Thirdly, we must create a culture of the goodness of God. I touched on this this morning. I know many of you got free. Until we understand that God is really, 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 really good, and he wants to be really, 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 really good to you, your position will always be a place of doubt and unbelief in a God who wants to act on your behalf. We must create a culture of good. We must celebrate what God is doing, not what he's not doing. i never forget being in a meeting where people got healed. It was amazing. And the pastor came up to me afterwards and said, I don't know if I want to get you back again. This is just unbelievable. Did you see how many people walked out the place unhealed? And I'm thinking, did you see how many people walked out the place healed? We've got to learn to celebrate what God is doing, not what he's not doing. I don't understand why he doesn't do some of the things he doesn't do. But I do understand that he's good and he wants to heal people and he wants to demonstrate the kingdom. And I'm going to live in a place where I learn to celebrate what he's doing, not what he's not doing. Because the more I celebrate what he is doing, the greater the platform of faith begins to build in my heart to expect him to break through in the areas where he's not seemingly working. We've got to learn to celebrate it. The minute you get someone walking down this aisle to respond to Jesus, as a church, can I beg you, celebrate it. The minute you see someone get healed of their pinky finger, celebrate it. The minute you see someone get healed of cancer, celebrate it. Celebrate what God is doing among you because it's the platform for increase. I'm thinking to myself, these guys are sitting in a meeting, a few people got healed, and all they do is question the integrity of Jesus. What is up with that? Some of their friends got healed. They were so unimpressed with the goodness of God that they walked out and missed an opportunity for a mighty work to happen. We must celebrate the goodness of God. We must learn to create a culture where our expectation is that he's good. He's going to be good to me. He's going to be good to the person next to me. He's going to be good to King's Church Hastings. He's going to be good to the Sussex region. He's going to be good to the UK. Fascinating. The Pharisees at times, I don't get them. They were sometimes more concerned about animals than they were about the fact that God healed people. Jesus says to them, wouldn't you untie an animal in distress on the Sabbath, yet you are comparing this man that's just been healed and saying it's, lawful, it's, it's unlawful to heal on the Sabbath? The pharisaical spirit just looks for every little loophole. I don't know if I would have prayed for the sick quite like that. But once you start getting the results, then we can talk. 
I'm not talking about being beyond accountable. I'm not talking about being beyond evaluation. I'm simply talking about looking for the heart of God in what He is doing. We must. We must. Not one of us is going to have it together, but I tell you what, all of us can step out in faith and the miraculous. Lastly, we must create a culture of honor. I want to talk about honor just very quickly because Jesus clearly says a prophet is without honor in his own hometown. But if you receive a prophet, you get a prophet's reward. Do you remember that? Honor is the platform for the miraculous. I touched on this this morning. And I just want to show you how it works just very quickly. When I recognize the goodness of God in someone's life despite their packaging, it's an opportunity for me to draw on the grace that's in their life. And so I need to make a confession. And please forgive me. This is like almost, you know, equivalent to sin. I really like Benny Hinn. I mean, I don't get him. I don't understand his white suit. But I tell you what, the man knows the Holy Spirit. And I tell you what, when I read his book, as a nine-year-old young man, Good Morning Holy Spirit, it introduced me to my best friend. And ever since then, my life has been radically changed because I've begun to understand that wherever I go, the Holy Spirit goes with me. And as I've begun to recognize what God is doing on his life, I began to enter into some of the same experiences. So I'd watch him as a kid. Check out Benny Hinn on TBN. Can you believe I even watched that? TBN, God Channel, and you're looking at Benny Hinn, and you're thinking, wow. And I go, I want that. I recognize the glory of God on that man. I want in on that. Do I want everything he has to offer? Maybe not. I don't really need oil right now from Israel. But I tell you what, God's on him. I remember meeting Rambabu. I mean, the packaging is very different. He likes a lot of curry. <laughs> but I remember looking at him and he go, in this section over here, this is your problem. If I say you are there, you are there. And I remember looking and thinking, I want in on that. God's on that man. I recognize the goodness of God. I'm taking some of that for myself. Now all of a sudden I go into a section and go, in this section somewhere over here, probably in the middle, this is what... Do you see what I mean by learning to honor what God's put on people? But let me just break it down a little bit more. Jesus is not making an excuse for not honoring the prophetic or gifted ministries amongst you and saying, oh well, just because they're part of your hometown, you'll never really be accepted. He's not making an excuse for it. He's rebuking people for an inability to recognize what's on people and thereby receiving it into the community that they're serving. That means your local eldership, they walk in particular gifting and have particular grace from God to do some things that's going to help propel you into maturity, that's going to help propel you into the goodness of God, that's going to propel you into encounter with God. And until we stop regarding one another according to the flesh and the strange packaging, I know I'm slightly weird sometimes. I know I'm wearing a pink shirt. Help me, Jesus. I mean, I know sometimes that doesn't quite fit the mold. Real men wear pink, by the way. Um, 
I know that doesn't quite fit the mold, but I tell you what, if you can learn to look past the packaging, if you can learn to look past the carpenter's son, if you can learn to look past the brother or the sister and see something of the goodness of God in them, you get to enter into the experience of grace that they are walking in. That's the platform for the miraculous. And so when you get someone preaching up here on a Sunday and you think, oh, my word, Matt is getting up again. (sighs) And we're going through Ephesians again. No. There's giftedness. There's grace. Respond to that because there might be an opportunity for the miraculous to break out. When you're in your cell group and your cell leader who you've been with for 15 years now says, do you know what? I'm going to pray for the sick. Don't stand there going, well, you're about as anointed as a brick. I don't know if you're going <laughs> to be able to bless me. Honor the gift of God on him. Honor the gift of God on him and say, do you know what? Put your hand on my head and give me all the good stuff you've got. Because when we learn to recognize the grace amongst each other and we begin to honor that, we begin to prefer that, we begin to say, let's make some room for this, it's an opportunity for the miraculous. Jesus could do no miracles because his brothers and sisters and some Pharisees decided, we know you too well. It's not an excuse. My friend, we're not supposed to be driving prophets out of our hometowns. We're supposed to be inviting gifted ministries in so they feel part of what God's doing. We must be a people of faith. We've got to break through unbelief because God wants to do significant things with us. And tonight he wants to do some significant things with you. I believe there's going to be some healings tonight. I believe God's going to do some good stuff tonight. In a moment, what I want to do is we're going to pray for people, and I want to do what I call an impartation. Now, I just want to help some people because I know there might be a few of you who might be saying, oh, where's that in the Bible? Okay, the Bible very clearly says the gifts of the Holy Spirit are imparted through the laying of hands. Romans, it talks about that. We see the Holy Spirit is given in the book of Acts through the impartation of the laying of hands. The people who are going to pray for you are going to be people who are part of the ministry team of this local church. And they don't have anything special other than that which God has given them. And uh, we're going to enjoy this together. Okay? And, and I want you, we're going to put into practice this thing of recognizing that God's on them and we're going to take whatever good things they have in God and give it to us. I'm going to pray for them. Remember Moses prayed for 70 leaders and released the spirit of prophecy upon them and they all begin to prophesy. That's exactly what's going to happen tonight. I'm going to release a prophetic anointing and an anointing for the miraculous upon the ministry team. They're going to then pray for you. And what's going to happen is we're going to form a tunnel this side and a tunnel this side. And all that's going to happen, some of you are going, we're going over to the twilight zone now. (laughs) All that's going to happen is this is a really quick way to pray for lots of people, okay? There's no magical formula in it. However... I know God's going to do some amazing things. We've had people walk through fire tunnels and get healed. We had a woman who'd broken her toe, couldn't dance, walked through the fire tunnel. We were just praying for an impartation for faith. By the time they got out to the other side, their toe had been completely healed and she was able to move it again. 
That's really cool. How's this for another story? This is a cool story. Sometimes, you know, I tell people, if you don't have your own story, borrow it from someone else. It all gives glory to God anyway. So this is a story from another church in the States. A lady went through a fire tunnel. She had one eye that was a glass eye. Walked through the fire tunnel. By the time she came out to the other side, she realized she could see through the glass eye. Wouldn't that be cool? Wouldn't that be cool? Um, God wants to do some amazing things, amen? Um, I really believe God's going to just meet with people in a significant way. Friends, we must be a people of faith. Faith is not an optional extra. Jesus rebuked his disciples for their lack of faith. I'm not going to rebuke you because I'm in the same boat with you. If I was in a storm, I don't know if I'd be so happy to walk on the water. But I do know this. God's stirring our hearts. And there's something more that he wants to break our, in our churches. There must be more than this. I didn't sign on the dotted line for nice community churches that eat donuts. <laughs> I signed up for the extraordinary community that I see in the book of Acts. And that's a church in its infancy. A church in its maturity will look far, far greater. The book of Acts is meant to be our reference, not our preference. We're supposed to look back and go, oh, that's how they did it. Now let's get some more. He's good. And he's in a really good mood tonight. And he really, really likes you. And he likes your company. He likes your eccentricities. He likes my pink shirt. <laughs> I tell you what, I don't like religion. It gets up my nose. We were never meant to be baptized in lemon juice. It was always supposed to be the Holy Spirit and joy. And I'm learning to enjoy him. Not because I've got it together, because I don't. I tell you what, the prayer line would diminish if you lived with me. I've got nothing good to give except that which he's given me. Catherine Coleman used to say this, and I've just been watching some Catherine Coleman videos. She used to say this, God's not looking for golden vessels. God's not looking for silver vessels. God's looking for healed vessels. And uh, I remember as a young boy standing in a prayer line in a little old church in Cape Town, little building, someone praying for me to receive the gift of prophecy at the age of nine, and my life changed. I had no cooking clue what God was going to do with me. But I tell you what, he's good. And he wants to do stuff with you. might not look like what I'm doing, might not look like what the eldership might be getting, but he wants to use you as a people of faith. He loves you. Tomorrow morning, I'm going to teach you a little bit how to, how to grow your faith. Because there's going to be a sustaining work of God's goodness in this church, I believe. I believe God's spoken about a well that was going to open here again. And I believe there's something of that beginning. We're beginning to ply open. There's some rocks coming out. 
Water is beginning to flow. You can almost taste it. I was in a meeting once where the presence of God began to flow so dramatically. I remember in this meeting, getting slightly woozy in God, and I saw myself in a in a vat in a room where there was loads of uh, wine vats, and I saw these little names like Smith Wigglesworth, Catherine Coleman, uh, Maria Wigglesworth Etcher, Amy Simple McPherson, John Wesley, all the great names of pioneers and revivalists. And God was beginning to open these vats of wine and they were all beginning to mix together and swirl together. And he said, have a drink. And I remember having a drink and my mouth filled up with real wine. And I instantaneously got intoxicated with the Holy Spirit. I thought I was going crazy. Until four or five other people in that same meeting said, we had this really weird experience tonight. As we were in the presence of God, we felt we needed to drink some wine and our mouths filled with wine. I tell you what, God wants to pour out wine. He wants to pour out wine that's not just going to be a little flavor of this, a little flavor of that. He's going to mix it all together. And there's going to be an incredible vintage of his goodness being on display to a lost and a dying Hastings. And the atmosphere in this town is going to change because there's going to be a platform of opportunity for God to move. I thought that was a good point. He loves you. He loves you. He really, really loves you. I believe God's going to heal some people of skin problems tonight. I was in a meeting in Holland, and there was a lady who had psoriasis all over her scalp, open sores. Prayed for her, and God restored her scalp to back to normal. There wasn't even any dandruff. That was really cool. There's some skin problems that God wants to heal. I believe God wants to heal some people with your swallowing mechanism in your throat. It causes incredible pain when you swallow and it's been very difficult. It means you have to eat specific types of foods. God's going to heal some people like that. I believe God wants to heal some people of ME. I believe God wants to heal some people of ME tonight. People who struggled with an inability to have energy and life flow through them been very difficult and you've been in a place of being incapacitated for a long time. God's going to heal some people. You can get excited about that. Amen. We just had one person get healed of an eye condition. I think we can have some more. We had uh, some people, where was I? I need to try to remember where I was. I'll tell you just two or three more stories and then we'll pray for people. One of the things I'm learning is I, I like to just wait for the presence of the Holy Spirit before I just get in. So I know I'm waffling a little bit, don't worry. But uh, I rather want to wait for him to come before we make a move. Is that okay? Good. We had um, some people who had severe arthritis. One lady whose fingers were literally skewed because of the arthritis. God completely healed it and completely straightened out. Absolutely amazing. We had um, another gentleman who had spots on their retina. And as we prayed for him, the spots disappeared. He was able to see clearly. 
God wants to do some amazing things. There's a couple right at the back over there. Uh, sir, you uh, got a blue top on. Yeah, you guys. God's hand is on you in a significant... Yeah, you too. Yeah, you too. Yeah, both of you. <laughs> well, you guys all together, are you? Oh, good. That's a good thing. Glad you're together. God loves you so much. There's a significant anointing on you. And I feel like God wants to say to you, he's saving the best wine for last for you. And that in this next season, you're going to find yourselves coming into opportunities where you'll be able to pour out wine for others. Those who have been exhausted and tired. I don't know what it is you guys do, but I literally see refreshing many people. Your home's going to be a refreshing home. Your times of travel are going to be refreshing times where you'll refresh others who come under the burden of life, who come under the burden of work, and you're going to be able to bring the life of God into them. He really loves you. He's got some incredible things. I just feel like God wants to say to you, you're just about to begin in a new season of adventure and ministry with him. And you're going to find incredible favor in your lives and on you. He loves you so much. God is so good. So good. Hey, let's just stand. I want to, I'm not going to take much longer. Let's just stand and love Jesus together. Let's just love on him together. Come and just tell him how good he is. Tell him how wonderful he is. Tell him how magnificent he is. Come Holy Spirit. Can I ask those of you who are on the ministry team, if you could please just come and stand up front. If you're on the ministry team. The gentleman with the red golf shirt on, you look very familiar to me. But have I met you before? We have. That's it. That's it. Um, I just keep seeing over your forehead like the words of uh, the New Day logo running over you. Okay? And I feel like God wants to say, it's a new day for you, Julian. It's a new day for you. And I feel like God wants to say, that the promises of old are still your promises. And that you're to come into a new place of faith for complete restoration of the call and purposes of God on your life and in your life. Because he's got some phenomenal things for you. All right? And I just feel like you, you can know today that God's purposes for you are for the nations. God's purposes for you are to impact many people. God's purposes for you is to preach the word with authority. And God's going to provide a platform for you and you're going to find incredible grace in this next season. Because when he restores, when he heals, he does it much better than it was before. I do believe God wants to also do some healing tonight. As you come through the prayer lines tonight, some of you are going to get healed of mental illnesses. The word for healing in the Bible in some cases is the word therapeuo, which literally means your whole psychological framework gets healed. And I believe one of the things we need to contend for in this nation particularly is not to simply tolerate 
mental health issues like depression and bipolar, but to believe God for divine breakthrough. Because if he could heal people in the days of old from all of the effects of illness, including mental illness, he can do it today. And uh, I believe God wants to do that. Some of you are going to come through here and you're going to find joy and peace. We've seen a number of people come off their medication in terms of particularly depression. And I know of one case of bipolar that God healed instantly. Can I encourage you to work with your doctors concerning this? Get wise counsel. Don't just come off unless you know God has spoken to you and you've got a measure of faith for it. And even then, please talk to your elders and be wise about it. All right? Is that Okay. You don't want letters coming through the post saying, you told me to stop my medication. And... But I do believe. I have a personal vendetta against mental health issues because we've had some family members with that. And divine justice means that we get to see breakthrough in that where we've suffered. Uh, just the ministry team, what I'm going to do is I'm going to pray for you right now. Because you need to get blitzed because you're going to do most of the ministry tonight. And so it's going to help if we get you a little bit inebriated in the Holy Spirit. And it's going to help if you get completely touched by God. <laughs> this dear lady, God's all on you right now. <laughs> there it is. It's like a heavy weight of glory coming on you right now. Touch right now in Jesus' name. So what we're going to do is, you guys are going to help me pray for the ministry team because in a moment you're going to get the benefit of it. Okay, and so I'm going to ask you in a moment to shout out the best blessing prayer you can. And then I'm going to ask them to arrange themselves in uh, two lines, kind of like at a wedding party. And you're going to simply walk through. I'm going to need four men on either side, four big men on either side to help move bodies. I'm not saying that just... I'm not saying that to be uh, preemptive of what God might do. I really don't care whether you fall or don't fall. Uh, I, please pray that you don't fake a shake. I want real stuff, okay? But I have noticed that very often in this context, people encounter God very powerfully, and so it just helps move people out the way. Is that okay? So look up your hands. Are you ready to blitz these guys with the power of God? Now, I just want to say, you don't have to come through the fire tunnel if you don't want to. I'm not going to force you, okay? If you want some happiness, then you can come through. If you don't, you can sit in your chair. <laughs> this is really not magical. It's not anything spectacular. All they can do is bless you on your way through the fire tunnel. All they simply can... In fire tunnel, you're not allowed to prophesy in this context. If you prophesy, you'll create a speed bump, and it will take a lot longer, Okay? <laughs> You are only allowed to bless and speak the kingdom of God over them and release an impartation of faith because that's what we're going for. Is that a deal? If I see you prophesying, you're out of the fire tunnel. We get you blitzing the Holy Spirit. Okay. Now there's going to be some fire in the fire tunnel. Some of you actually feel physical heat. Um, people have noticed a literal temperature change in some meetings as they walk through the fire tunnel, come out the other side, there's a physical temperature change. Okay, sometimes we smell burning in the meeting. I'm, I'm not joking. I'm being very serious. I know it's a bit weird, but it's a sign of the kingdom. Do you know that the Bible calls some angels burning ones? And very often when there's a smell of burning, it's a sign of angelic activity. Do you know that? 
So sometimes these things happen to supernatural kingdom we're a part of. So supernatural things happen. All right? Fire kind of get ready. Father, I thank you for this ministry team. Thank you for the anointing. We might just need some people just to stand behind the ministry team because God's going to touch them. Father, I thank you for the anointing that destroys the yokes of slavery. I thank you for the power of God at work in believers. I thank you right now in the name of Jesus for an impartation of faith right now in Jesus' name. I ask for an impartation of faith for breakthrough in Jesus' name. I ask for an impartation of the expectation of the supernatural to break out right now. I ask for a gift of faith to come upon this ministry team that as they pray for people, even tonight, there will be a whole community of believers coming into a whole new realm of faith. I thank you in Jesus' name for the healing virtue of heaven to rest upon these men and women. And as they lay hands upon people, even tonight as they walk through this tunnel, Lord God, there will be healing that will flow. I thank you for immediate testimonies, even tonight, of people getting healed in the name of Jesus. I ask for an increased measure of your anointing and power right now.